and they provide protection and safety and security. And so in my, um, ch my child's mind, I just imagine this spiritual uh, wall of protection that kind of rolled up every night as I went to bed and kind of went around my room and extended kind of out my front window into the yard and went all the way around and, and it kept me safe. From all the things out there that might be coming to get me that might be unsafe. A decade and a half later, I was sitting in a room with my newest best friends. They were the only people I knew within 4,000 square miles. <laughs> and uh, I was, uh, we were sitting there with our leader and he was uh, posing for us one of his very cryptic questions. And these questions that he posed for us as we studied along with him were not, um, they were not like everyone wins, doesn't matter, like everyone has the right answer questions. It was like, no, there's a very clear answer to this question. Here's the right answer, and here is the wrong answer. And uh, I, you know, at the time, didn't have many other people in my life, just six other people. And... I very much wanted to please him, and so I, I took a stab at answering this, this crazy question that he asked us. I think it was about someone saying that they were going to commit suicide or something like that, and, and what would you do? And, um, and what I, whatever I answered, I can't remember exactly, was, was, did not fall within the category of the right answer, right? In his mind, he had the answer, and there was a whole lot behind that answer that he was about to teach us. But, but, but I didn't have the right answer. And so he, he went on, and he told me exactly why my answer wasn't right, how dumb that answer was. He criticized the answer that I had given. And up until this point in my life, I had mostly been, um, well, I had been homeschooled until I was, like, a senior in high school. And parents tend to be a little bit, like, supportive and... You know, um, and then and then I was at, at Trebekah for a year, and I had these you know teachers like um, Tim Green, who like the dumbest answer in class. You know, he'll like spin it somehow and like make it go towards his purposes. And the person who answered that like had no idea how dumb their answer was. Like they just feel like yeah, that was right. Like we're going somewhere with that. Uh, yeah. And so when, when, when he responded in this very extremely critical way, I was just like kind of taken aback. And I was like, like what? Like, what is going on here? Like, I just like, I almost couldn't, I couldn't like listen to what was happening after that because I felt like, almost like in my head of protection, like my intelligence had just been pulled out. And everything was kind of falling down. I'm sure you can think of a time in your life when um, a sort of a foundational uh, part of your own personal hedge of protection got pulled out from under you. Uh, maybe it was um, the threat of a recession that threatened your livelihood. Or uh, maybe it was a disease that makes your life feel uncertain or a terrorist attack that comes too close to home. 
in these times when, when things are pulled out from under us, it leaves us kind of scrambling to pick up the pieces, to pick up and restack everything how it was, and actually maybe differently, maybe stronger this time, maybe more stable this time. Maybe we'll add some new things in there and add some layers that will protect us a little bit better, provide a better hedge of protection. The, even the threat of something happening can change our perspective about the way that we protect ourselves. Um, there, was a, there was a youth leader when I was in the youth group um, back in Kentucky. And I really like this youth leader. She was, um, she was easy to talk to and very down to earth. Um, but there was something about this youth leader that was kind of unusual. And, and it was that whenever there was a storm, she was nowhere in sight. Like, threat of a storm, nowhere in sight. Never there. And if you just happen to be uh, at the church building with her on an occasion that a storm popped up unexpectedly. Like, I've never seen someone, like, the dictionary definition of, like, a basket case. Like, she was, like, losing her mind. She was so afraid of storms. And um, she, uh, I don't remember the whole story, but I remember hearing part of a story of maybe why she... Uh, reacted to storms in this way. And uh, the part that I remember is that she was on vacation with her family at a hotel um, when a hurricane came through. And it got really real for her and at this hotel, and they were getting hit, and she didn't know where her kids were. And there was this <coughs> kind of traumatic event behind. <coughs> they were all fine. But that fear of that moment came up again every time a storm came up. In our passage today, the Jews, the Jews, the Jewish leaders, and Pilate had a lot to lose. For uh, the Jewish leaders, Jesus was this person who confronted their religion with a whole lot of stuff that they were not comfortable with. He began drawing these huge crowds around him. He had these disciples. People were all wondering. And then he raised Lazarus from the dead. And then all of these people were following him. And it, it, he was doing things that you just can't do, like breaking the Sabbath, healing on the Sabbath. Um, you know, he was, he was breaking the Torah in their view. And he was claiming and being hailed as the Son of God which is blasphemy. And so for them, it was, like, it was like this heretic hunt, right? This guy, this guy is threatening our faith because of his views and his opinions and the things that he's doing. He's raising the dead. He's healing the sick. That's not what our faith's found. But they had other things to lose, too, not just the integrity of their faith, right? They were the supreme religious authority, they got to say. Uh, they had the respect. They had, to, they had to protect the Torah. And then there was Pilate. And Pilate uh, was like the Jewish leaders, and he, he had a lot to lose, too. Uh, he, he kind of played with his power at first. He was saying to, um, to the Jews, like, I don't find anything wrong with this guy. I don't see any reason to kill him. It was almost like, 
I'm kind of lording my power over you. You want this guy dead. You're not willing to do it. You want me to do it. But I'm kind of like, I don't know, guys. I don't really see it. But then the Jews uh, say something that scares him. They say, uh, this man is claiming to be the son of God. Now, this was not just a phrase that was used in the Jewish community, but this, was a, this was, would be very, very common in Roman culture as well. See, because Caesar, who Pilate's, Pilate's boss, the leader of the Roman Empire, Caesar, uh, his dad, when he was leader, he had the audacity to call himself, his title was God. And so Caesar's title was the son of God. It was uh, a key part of how he gained his power uh, between the time his, his dad died and when there was kind of this, um, this questionable, who's going who's gonna to take control of Rome? But I'm the son of God. So I should have the power to take control. And so when he said Jesus is claiming to be the son of God, that was a political claim. That was he's, he's saying that he is the king. And so uh, Pilate becomes afraid too. Pilate has a lot to lose here too. Because the Jewish authorities are reminding him of his limited power, that they could go above his head and say, this guy didn't take care of this, this guy. And so they have this whole tower of protection that they are trying to keep safe. If you want to hedge your bets, if you want someone to hedge their bets with you, like the Jews did with Pilate, pointing out how someone is your common enemy is a pretty effective way. If you want to build a wall, protect yourself. Pointing out how dangerous those other people might be is a pretty effective way to get what you want. So I was, um, I was in, in the bakery the other day, and I overheard uh, this woman having this conversation with this man. And uh, this is like her words. Like I wrote it down. She was probably, she didn't see me. She, but I wrote it down. She, she said, um, uh, if we could pay off our mortgage, then we can do whatever we want, and we won't have to worry. Hmm. If we could pay off our mortgage, then we wouldn't have to worry. I'm all for the best laid plans, right? <laughs> But eliminating worry, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty interesting result of paying off your mortgage. We see this all the time in advertising commercials. Um, if you use this uh, teeth whitening product, then that attractive guy at the coffee shop will take notice of you. If, um, if you uh, take this medication, uh, then you will have this wonderful family life and the dog and the sunshine and, you know, all of it. If you, uh, if, you, if you buy a GoPro, you will have the adventure of a lifetime, right? Marketers use this all the time. They, they show pictures of the things that, that you cannot buy alongside the things that you can buy in order to kind of equate those things in your mind. It's the if-then. If you do this, then 
you'll do this fallacy. For us, it's a, it might be a little bit different. It's like, if I can get to the end of this semester, then I can rest. Right? If I can pay off my debt, then I won't have to worry about making so much money. If we can get Pilate to kill Jesus, then we can protect our religious institution. If I can crucify Jesus, then I can protect my position of power. If I can stack this well enough, in the right order, strongly enough, get enough rolls in here, then I can't be hurt, worried, afraid, lonely. Two problems, two main problems, I guess, with this if-then, if-then thinking. The, f the first problem is that you can't get uh, rest by ceasing work. You can't get financial peace from paying off debt, as much as Dave Ramsey would say that you absolutely can. You can't get the kingdom of God from the kingdom of the world. You can't get, you can't eliminate worry by paying off your mortgage. Do you hear what I'm saying? They're completely different in nature. Those are two completely different things. And the other problem with that if-then thinking is that uh, the things that are supposed to protect you, that we pursue often to protect us, the things that we're going after, they often cut us instead of helping us. So you eat a kale salad and you get food poisoning. Or you get hurt on the job. It's a real example. <laughs> it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I have gotten food poisoning, but it wasn't from a kale salad. <laughs> Uh, you, you can get hurt on the job. You, your body can, can turn against you. You can get sick, right? These things that, we, you know, we're, we're working for, they're not, I mean, it's not, it's kind of fake, right? It's kind of just crap, right? <laughs> See what you did there. <laughs> is how we build these, uh, these towers of protection, these hedges of protection around us. But then we get Jesus. And, and Jesus comes, and Jesus is uh, nothing like this business-as-usual building protective barriers around us, building up our lives. And Jesus, uh, he does this. He's like, you don't have anything. You don't have anything. Oh, run. Oh, <laughs> That's what happens when we start nosing off over That's why I didn't use it. That's why I didn't use Jeremy. I want you. Is yours blank? Okay, James, there we go. Now we're on. We'll reconcile this. Okay. Uh, I'll get a million dollars to sit Okay, we're okay. Hey. Jesus is like Jesus is like uh He's like He's like, you don't have help, we'll give you help. We'll give we'll give you we'll give you that. 
Yeah, he's just like redistributing kind of all the. This was great. And sometimes you think you're getting something from Jesus. You have nothing. Um, I have everything. And Jesus isn't afraid, and he 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 does all these things we do like cry and mourn and laugh and have friends and make enemies and and sweat and work. And yet, it's like it's not working to build this kingdom like everyone else's kingdom, right? He says, my kingdom is from another place. If it was here, my, my followers would fight to keep this kingdom, right? We would have guards. We would have hedges of protection. But it's from another place. This kingdom is, is not of this world. Even though he is squarely in the world, right? He interprets the Torah. He makes political statements. He speaks truth. He doesn't have to if-then, though, because he's confident that God is on his side, that God is with him, that even in the face of disaster and destruction, even at the, the facing his own mortality, Jesus' tower of self-identity uh, doesn't fall because it's not a tower to fall. Uh, the book of Genesis uh, <coughs> talks about the fall of man. And it's this mythic story about, about humans reaching out to take the thing that we think will bring us life. This self-preservation. And it's a mythic story because it can be applied to all of humanity, right? At all times. It's just like kind of the way we are. It's the things we do. We kind of reach out and try to preserve and protect and build. But what John is doing in his gospel is he's painting Jesus as this fulfillment of creation. He goes back there, right? But Jesus is kind of this fulfillment of creation. It's like, it's like it, we weren't done here. Like this wasn't... This wasn't the end. This was kind of the beginning, right? This was the beginning of the way that humanity was. And in Jesus, he paints a new way of being. It, the story changes to where um, self-interest no longer with Jesus has to reign as the norm. But rather, obedience to God can now become the primary focused, that we're actually empowered through Jesus to change the way that we think about the kingdoms we have. Jesus isn't about if and then. It's another primary change of Jesus, right? It's not like if, then. It's like Jesus comes and he's like, it's here and it's now. It's not sometime in the future. It's not when you get your crap together, right? It's, it's here and it's now. The kingdom of God is, is arriving. It is present. It is available. It is possible. Maybe our towers of padding, our hedges of protection, are keeping us 
from realizing that progress isn't up, but progress is maybe tearing down that kingdom in the pursuit of a different kind of kingdom. Because unity with God is what brings peace and assurance and freedom from worry. Sometimes it takes our false, padded selves falling down in order to wake us up and open our eyes to the way that God sees us into a life of true abundance. Richard Rohr says, There are few honest guides like Jesus. Most will tell you to take good care of yourself and pad your false self. Jesus never does that. Instead, Jesus says things like, Do not worry. Put away your sword. I am the way. In this new kingdom of grace and love, grace and love aren't, aren't things that can be pulled out and make our tower collapse. They're things that we receive. As we need them. And even our needs are submitted to God so that we even look to God to know what we need as well as to receive what we need. So in the season of Lent, we often, uh, the church is encouraged to fast. And um, the practice of fasting is sort of like removing some of the, the padding in your life and um, seeing how, to see kind of how heavily you re rely on it. And as we remove uh, sugar or Coke or uh, social media, uh, you know, we're confronted usually with something deeper than our habits. It opens us up to see a window into the places where we're feeding and patting our false selves. Our false selves will always be concerned with self-preservation. It will be tempted to build kingdoms because if we just look at culture and we receive as our image from what culture gives us, if we reflect what we see in culture, even if we good look, even if we look to wise guides, even if we look to good people to reflect that image back to us, we will still be padding this false self. What Jesus does and what we are called into as followers of Jesus <clears throat> is to look not to the culture to receive what we need, but to look to God and to see who God says we are, to know what we need to receive from God what we need and the things that we need. That our identity is shaped by who God says that we are and not by who some other person does. 
We start to see ourselves not as a collection of ideas or positions or plaudits or beliefs, but to see ourselves as God sees us. To look to God to find out who we are is what we need. As I was 4,000 miles from home and just kind of reeling as my uh, self-worth collapsed, <laughs> coffee fell too, and that was detrimental. Um, I just heard God speak to me in that moment. And God was like, doesn't matter. Like, doesn't matter what he thinks about you. I value you. You are important. You are loved. Your self-worth is not tied up here. So may you look to God to find out who you are. May you look to God to find out what you need. May you look to God to find it here and now. May you be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Let's pray. Our lives often skate the surface of what it means to be truly human. We pray for cracks in that ice. That we may go deep into what it means to live a life of abundance. A life in this kind of kingdom of God that Jesus is revealing and calling us into. One that is not concerned about self preservation as much as it is about obedience to you. May we find who we are in you, in the Trinitarian love that you give, in the way that you create, and bring us into that. Thank you.